Hello, and welcome back to this week's episode of Lit AF with me, your host, Sarah Cohan. I'm very excited for today's episode. It is about how to heal your attachment style. And I myself am earn-secure, recovering, fearful, avoidant, leaning, dismissive, avoidant. And I share that with you so that you understand my background and where I'm coming from. And I just can't wait to talk to you about how I got earned secure. <laughs> and let me tell you, I've shared this before, and I will continue to share this for the rest of this podcast. Earned secure is a journey, not a destination. It is a road trip, not a um, teleporter device, teleportation device. It is a bunch of iterations. Iterate, iterate, iterate. Try, 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 try. Fail, 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 fail. Succeed. Go again. That's why I say it's a journey. It's a lot of trying new things and really reshaping how you see things. So I'm going to get in. I know that's super nebulous, but I share that because one of the hardest things that I had to learn on my healing journey was Oh, (laughs) it's not just get to secure and then stay there. Like secure is, I think you can go in and out of secure, of, of a secure mindset. And so I say that so that you're very compassionate and generous with yourself and have so much patience for your journey. And that eventually you're going to get to the point where you're like, oh my God, I am showing up securely the majority of the time. And I am so secure that I can be secure for others that maybe have an insecure attachment type. That's when you're like, bam, 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 boop, boop, I did it. And then usually by the time you're there, you're not like, oh, I've crossed the finish line and I'm done now. Instead, you're like, what's next? What else you got for me, universe? Like what other spiritual um, book do I need to be reading? Or, you know, what do I need to like kind of feed my soul a little bit over here so that I'm fine tuning and really ironing out the last little things? It's really, my God, it's so fun. I love it. I love talking about it. Obviously, that's why I'm here. So let's get into it. Hi. So Today, I'm going to tell you how I healed my attachment style, and you can too. And I'm just going to first by start by t- saying how I found out about my attachment style. So I was, in the beginning of the pandemic, very randomly a part of a manifestation group. And at the time, manifestation was very popular. It still is, although I, you know, I think it's kind of fading out a little bit. I'm calling it. I called it. You know, all the credit to anyone that is doing manifestation. I think it's a really, really, really powerful tool. So at the time I was in a manifestation program, it's called To Be Magnetic. And I was helping to run the local group that were members of this program. And part of the program actually was about attachment style. So it had been kind of coming up in my program and I was starting to learn about it and play around with it in terms of manifestations. And someone in the program that I became very close to shared some resources with me about attachment style. 
And it was a bunch of YouTube videos from Thais Gibson of the Personal Development School. And basically, she just talked about the different attachment styles and why they are the way they are. And I immediately started resonating with the fearful avoidant attachment style. And I felt, I mean, that week, I remember it so vividly. That week when I was watching those videos, I was binging those videos. I just remember feeling so seen, so deeply understood, and so off the hook for so much of my behavior. Like, not off the hook as in I'm not taking responsibility, but I all of a sudden understood the motivations behind my strategies of relating to other people to the point where I could forgive myself. I was like, oh, girl, you just picked this up in childhood. This has nothing to do with you. And you're not alone. Like other people are also going through this too. I remember when I first was learning about my attachment style, I I really struggled to share about my chaotic um, childhood and the kind of abusive environment that I grew up in to the point where I remember I would have podcast guests on and I I knew that they were trauma coaches or they had um, training with trauma. And I would still like get really red and nervous when I started to talk about my chaotic upbringing. Because I, I had never talked about it before and it was such a shameful secret growing up, all of a sudden I felt I was like reliving that shameful secret again as an adult. So I had a lot of healing to do. <laughs> I should say too that I was going through a really rough time in my relationship and I was acting out in ways that I really wasn't proud of. Some of them were I would have these epic blowout arguments with my partner. I would scream. At one point, I remember I was like trying to make a point and I was so angry and frustrated and resentful that I knocked over a chair. And that to me really reminded me of my extremely chaotic upbringing. And it crossed a boundary that I was not okay with. I was like screaming to the car. I was like screaming into the carpet on the floor, like banging my hands on the ground like a child. Like I was actually having a tantrum. And I didn't know it at the time. It's because my my attachment style, my attachment system was so activated in this relationship that I <laughs> literally was enacting old, very old programs. <laughs> so I knew that I wanted to heal. And I knew that I wanted to heal in this relationship, in this marriage that I'm still in. And I decided to start to do that with the personal development school. Now, this is not an advertisement for the personal development school, although I have gotten so much from Thais Gibson and their work. If you're interested in joining, I do have a link down below in the show notes to join the personal development school. It's something like $60 a month. They have some amazing programs. If you are really self-motivated and want to do the courses, I highly recommend them. So once I signed up for the personal development school, all of a sudden I had a literal step-by-step plan for how to heal my attachment style. And so I'm just going to line that all out for you here so you can understand some of the tools that I used to actually heal my attachment style. And then I will also share that later I went on to get a coaching certification from the personal development school. So I am now an attachment coach that's certified in this particular program. And some coaches that some of my fellow coaches actually work with people that are going through the personal development school. So you can go through the course while also having one-on-one coaching, which is really, really incredible. So I share that in case you're interested. I'll talk more about it at the end about how you can um, find out more about that. 
So one of the first exercises that I did that I really remember was so powerful was I started to track my hypervigilance. So hypervigilance is when you are so focused on the people around you and you're connecting to their emotions and their behavior and making up stories or having beliefs about why they are acting that way and oftentimes making that behavior or those emotions about me. A lot of people pleasing here coming up. (laughs) And so I had to be hypervigilant as a kid to remain safe. I had to constantly be aware like, okay, what mood is everyone in? How did they walk in? What's going on? Do I need to go like close the door and be in my room alone? Is it okay? Is it safe to be out here? Is everyone in a good mood? If not, how can we lighten the mood? You know, I was very much the peacekeeper growing up. I had the peacekeeper role. So hypervigilance um, has been a lifelong habit for me. And I did not realize that I was just doing this all the time. So anytime my husband was coming home, I was tracking like, okay, what? how did he close the door? How did he greet me? It seems like something's coming up. Okay, what did I do today that might have caused this? Just a lot, a lot of tracking and stories. And so what I did was a nighttime routine. I had a lot of, a lot of what I'm going to share is part of my nighttime routine. <laughs> I used to literally journal for like two to three hours before bed. That's not everyone's practice, but it was mine. So I share that. So to track my hypervigilance, what I did was I would notice when I was feeling shame or guilt. And I would just like, I would track throughout the day. So in the morning, in the afternoon, in the evening, when was I feeling guilt or shame? What was it connected to? What meaning was I giving this? Did I know that for sure that that was actually true? And could I find my own innocence or courage in this situation? And at first, let me tell you, it was so hard to find that courage and that innocence. But eventually, as I started doing this habit every single day, what started to happen was it was easier for me to get to the emotion of courage and to get to the emotion of innocence to the point where I started actually doing it in the moment when it was happening. So I was like hypervigilant, hypervigilant. I was too aware of someone else's behavior. And then bam, I was like, oh, I just wanted to connect with them so deeply. I was innocently trying to create connection. This is really great for an overthinking mind. If you have a lot of thoughts that you struggle, like if you just go down rabbit holes, this can be a really, really powerful exercise to help you bring you back to okay what was i what what need was i trying to meet here and where was i innocently trying to do that cuz we're all just trying to meet needs that's later but i'm a broken record on that okay the next step was questioning beliefs and stories i talked a little bit about that but i had a bunch of outdated core wounds that were clouding my judgment and thinking things like i am bad i am not enough i am unworthy and what i did was i start to reprogram those using the tools from the personal development school and it takes 21 days to make a habit this is what i tell all my clients it takes 21 days to make a habit if you commit to actually reprogramming a belief let's say the belief is i'm not enough okay i'm going to think of daily twice a day seven reasons why I am enough, and I'm going to commit to that for 21 days, you will see incredible change, incredible change. 
all of a sudden you're going to say, I am enough. These are the areas that I am enough. I'm going to put myself in situations where I believe that I am enough. And it can be really small things. Like all of a sudden I am comfortable asking the waiter for a refill of my drink or changing my order because I wasn't satisfied. Like it can be that small, the change of I am enough. But this is, this is the most important work to this program, that right there. Then the next step was to feel my emotions. This was really difficult and very scary. And I want to be very honest, I did work with a coach on this. I highly recommend, especially if you lean dismissive avoidant, to work with a professional, work with a therapist, work with a coach, because feelings were not safe for you growing up. Therefore, they are not safe for you as an adult. So if you just whiplash yourself into starting to feel your emotions, what can happen is you'll start to judge yourself and shame yourself, and then you'll pull away from this work. So you want to be doing it so incredibly slowly and with a professional that can help you deal with all of the things that come up with starting to feel your emotions. But my favorite part about this is I was working with my coach and we were you know, going through an old memory of when I was getting laughed at as a child for something that I needed and I was being vulnerable and I was crying and my dad just laughed at me. And it was like one of those just like super core memories that really shaped um, how I knew how to show up safely. And, or basically it made me dismissive avoidant. <laughs> and she asked me to describe the emotion that I was feeling in my body. And I described it as gray, which is not a very descriptive color. And she asked me a slew of questions like, where does it live? And I was like, I don't know, maybe in my chest, like kind of guessing. And then she was like, does it have a texture? Does it have a, you know, a motion to it? And I was just like, no, no, just really a very typical dismissive avoidant answer. <laughs> Say this with so much love. So I, my work there was to start to slowly be able to answer these questions. And I did like, I actually, I remember every night I was doing EFT tapping. And then I also recorded a meditation, which I have now on my website. I will link this below, but it's a somatic feelings exercise. And what I did was every single night I would listen to it and I would just pull up a feeling, an uncomfortable feeling that I had that day, and I would sit with it. And then meditation is eight minutes long. And I would just sit with it every single night. And this was honestly the quickest way to start to feel my emotions uh, because I just started to get the vocabulary and I just started playing around with, okay, what does it feel like when I'm feeling rejected? Or what does it feel like when I'm feeling bad? Um, what does it feel like when I'm embarrassed? I really sat with those feelings during the somatic exercise. And then afterwards, I would do like an EFT tapping exercise with Brad Yates to just clear it all away, like get it all out of my body. Sometimes I'd have to do other things like a shaking exercise, or I would go to dance class to really get things moving in my body. Because when you're doing this work, emotions get stuck in the nervous system. So it's so important to like have a practice, whatever works for you, don't start something completely new. Work with what's worked for you in the past, but figure out, okay, what physical activity can I do to actually clear this stuff up out of my body? Because that's going to be so incredibly helpful. Okay. So after a couple of weeks working with this coach, I really started to get comfortable with my emotions. Then I started doing 
an extremely long journey of understanding my needs and communicating them. So oftentimes what I hear with dismissive avoidance and actually anxious preoccupied folks as well is that um, having needs means that you're a burden or it means that you're too much. Or as I heard from a client recently, it means that you're beholden to someone around you. So it's just, you can't trust that person in order to have needs of your own. So what I started to do was understand my unique blueprint for my own needs. And I have a high need for connection. I have a high need for fun. And I have a very high need for safety. Those are like three of my top five. And so I would try to figure out how I was getting my own needs met during the day. And I started to actually figure out how to communicate my needs. So just the other evening, I was having a moment. I was feeling very, very sensitive and I had a really rough day and I was communicating with my husband and I just felt like I wasn't being seen. I wasn't being understood. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to cut to the core of this. Like, what is it that I actually need for my husband? And what I realized was I needed connection with him. And so what I did was I shared something super vulnerable to him and he reciprocated. And it was this beautiful moment. And I just kept saying over and over again, I'm so sensitive today. I don't know what's happening, but I'm just, I'm really feeling like uh, I'm making up all these stories and I, I just need to feel connected to you. So it wasn't blame, although my brain was trying to blame him for the way that I was feeling. I'm not going to lie. But it was very vulnerable and I had took complete 100% ownership of, of what I was needing. So it's just an example of how it's showing up today. And I'm, I, I say that because I want you to understand this work does not end when you're done with your healing program. It's ongoing. It's never ending. As soon as you kind of figure out a need in one area, then all of a sudden you have to readjust your needs. Like once you start meeting your need for safety, then all of a sudden, okay, great. I'm feeling safe all the time. Now I just need to focus on fun or something else. So they shift and they change. But what happens is you can get so comfortable with them that like I just shared in that moment, you can realize, like, oh, okay, this is exactly what I'm needing right now. Here's a great strategy to get it met. And as I shared in my people-pleasing webinar last week, when you're asking for your needs to be met, I know it's so scary and it's so hard and it comes out so wobbly, just like, I need this thing from you. And, it, it, and it's hard. It's so hard and it's so vulnerable. And then our biggest fear is that they're not going to be able to meet that need, right? But what happens when you get to understand your needs and you actually meet them on your own is you know that you can meet that need on your own and you don't need that person to do it for you. So when you release all attachment to them being able to meet that need for you, it clears it out so that you're like, oh man, I just, I'm going to share this really vulnerable thing with you because I just need a little bit of connection right now. And then all of a sudden it becomes this light thing that your partner or whoever you're around, maybe it's a friend or a family member can be like, oh, you're just being human right now. You're not blaming me for anything. You just have this wonderful, beautiful need and I can help you with that. It's really fun. This is the work here for attachment style. This is my favorite part of attachment style. 
this to me is once you master this, this is the transformation because having needs is totally normal. And how I can explain that best to you is right now, I want you to think of someone that shared a need with you in a vulnerable way. I'm pausing so that you can think about it right now. And then how did you feel when they shared it with you? My guess is that you felt so grateful to them for coming to you with this vulnerable need. And I'm also going to guess that you really appreciated that you were able to help them. People love to help. I love to help. I am also a two on the Enneagram, so it's kind of a thing. But beyond that, I know that this is a human trait. We love to help people. (laughs) I remember this really strange story, but I'm going to come with me on this journey. So I think it was Benjamin Franklin had this policy of asking for help from people. and. He was, I can't remember exactly what this, the, how it was, but he was working with someone very famous and was trying to create a connection with them. And so one of the ways that he created a connection with them was he asked to borrow a book from them. He didn't need the book. He like, it wasn't, obviously it's, it's a little bit difficult. It's a little more difficult when you need to actually have the thing and you're expecting that person to help you. Right. But just think about this in a way of like, He was trying to connection and he went about that by asking for help from other people. This is how we create connection. (sighs) So I want you to think about that story and see how can you create moments where you are allowing other people to help you? Because that's huge. And a lot of us have core wounds around this. That's where you're going to go back up to your subconscious reprogramming exercise and then start to reprogram your fear around asking for help and receiving help. If you have a wound around, I am bad if I receive help, or if I'm beholden to someone else if I receive help, then I want you to reprogram that and think about, okay, I am loved if I receive help. I am autonomous if I receive help. Whatever it is for you. Use the words that work for you. Okay, so then quickly after working on my knees, then I started working on boundaries, which is a really similar journey. So I started to understand what my boundaries were. It first just did an assessment to see like, where am I setting boundaries? Where am I not setting boundaries? And then I started to create exposure plans for actually setting them. And this is one of my favorite things to work with people on is actually scripts to um, set boundaries. And one of the best ways to start, I'm going to share one with you right now. When you are starting to set boundaries, it can be really upsetting to those closest to you because you might find yourself in some more codependent relationships, especially with insecure attachment style. And all of a sudden it can be really triggering for your family or for your partner or friends when you come in guns a blazing, setting boundaries. <laughs> and they're like, who are you? What is this? This is like really confrontational and I don't like it, especially if they have wounds around boundaries. So what I find is really a nice, easy, light script to share with family members or with your partner or with your friend when you're starting to share boundaries is, I am learning how to set boundaries. I would love to practice setting boundaries with you. I hope that you can support me on this journey. What comes up for you when I say that? Like just setting the tone in a way of 
hey, I'm practicing boundaries. It's going to be awkward, but I'm excited to do this work and I would love your support in doing it. Like, what a beautiful way to set the tone because that way they're they're ready for it. They're like, oh, great. I'm not surprised why you're all of a sudden setting a boundary in this area. Like, I, I was expecting it. So it's just a one, one helpful script that you can use to set a boundary. And then after boundary setting, honestly, I kind of went back up to the top and just kept redoing everything. <laughs> so like I said, I still use these tools. I actually use a lot of the um, exercises that I do with clients still. I do a needs assessment to check in with where my needs are at, see how I'm I'm, um, reprogramming them. I do my emotional processing tool all the time to figure out what beliefs am I giving to the situation. And I do subconscious reprogramming daily. It is such an incredibly powerful tool. And now I have to say too that I am a mother and that is just kicking my attachment style security up a notch. And what I realized when my son was born is that I was, I had a little bit of negative self-talk going and I just needed to clean that up. And it's so funny. I was talking to my friend who's a teacher and she's like, oh yeah, I had to clean that up. Like, I was like, well, how do you deal with this with your son? I call them microaggressions. Like, how did you deal with like um, outbursts or like reactions to dropping things um, with your son? And she's like, oh, well, I was a teacher. So I've had years of practice, but I knew when I got into the classroom that kids got really upset when I was upset. And I like, I was like, dang, okay, cool. So I got, I got to work on this. And what I realized is that um, what was happening with my outburst, like uh, I remember one thing really vividly is I dropped um, our diaper paste on the ground and the top opened and this paste like flipped up out of the jar onto like the diaper changing station and our bikes and the, the wall. I mean, it just got like everywhere. And I was just like, oh, fuck. Like I had this huge reaction as my son, my sweet, sweet two-month-old son is lying on the diaper ta- changing table. And I just thought to myself like, mm, that's not really what I want him to be teaching himself when he drops something. And we all know that kids... It's not what you tell your kids. I can, I could have told you this growing up. It's not what you tell your kids. It's how you act that they learn from. So if I am having this huge reaction and shaming myself, that's what was happening in that moment. I was shaming myself for dropping and making the mistake, dropping that uh, diaper paste and making a mistake. And so I wanted to clean that up and I wanted to do it very quickly because these are the precious moments that are really forming my child's brain development. And so I really had to get comfortable with the, uh, I mean, I literally just went back through all of these exercise exercises and I had to get really comfortable with the feeling of anger because I was feeling a lot of anger during that time because of just the changing situation. I mean, I, everything was disrupted and everything was different and I was running off such little sleep. And it's actually really common for fearful avoidance. To, their go-to emotion when stressed is actually anger. And so I had to get very, very comfortable with the emotion of anger. I did some EFT tapping on it. I did my emotional processing uh, meditation and I did all of the things to actually sit with the anger. And that really helped me understand like, okay, what is this negative self-talk trying to tell me? And honestly, it always comes back to safety, the hundred percent. So now when I'm dropping something, I'm saying, oh, I'm safe. It's okay. 
I'm accepted. This is how I talk to myself now. It's okay. We're safe. Another thing that I've actually really learned how to deal with is I I have tinnitus, which it's hard to describe. It's such a funny thing. But basically the sound of other people chewing used to drive me insane, like up a wall. Like I, um, at my old job, my old, old job, somebody next to me would have snacks in the afternoon and I would like be in my mind crawling up a wall, seeing red. Like it just, it drove me crazy. And that's because when I was a kid, my dad had the same thing and he would punish us if we were chewing with our mouths open, if we were chewing too loudly. And so what I realize as an adult now, when it's happening, is that what I need to tell myself is I am safe. It's okay. No one is going to get in trouble right now. Everyone's safe. And honestly, saying those words takes me out of this like heightened hysteric energy into such a grounded and calm place. It It's a game changer. Anyone that's listening that <laughs> understands tinnitus, I hope that's helpful for you. If you don't, I'm sure you're like, what the fuck is this crazy thing that you're talking about? But just sharing more of my story and my healing. Okay, so then what else? I also accepted that conflict is healthy in my marriage. Um, dismissive avoidance, especially believe that all relationships should be conflict free. And this is a huge one that I actually recently reprogrammed. I, th- I shared this on another episode. I think it was 106. So basically dismissive avoidance, their go-to reaction when there is conflict in a relationship is we should break up. This isn't working. This is obviously over. And so I have officially reprogrammed that belief so that when I am having conflict, I'm not necessarily going straight to this is over. It's not going to work. It never works. Like instead, what I'm saying is it's safe. (laughs) Everything comes back to being safe. It's safe. If I can give you anything, if I can help you at all with your attachment style, it's that you're safe. We are, at least I want you to start to believe that you are safe. If you're not safe, obviously that's something that needs to be addressed right away. And I want you to, to empower yourself to figure out how to find safety. But for a lot of people that are listening, you are actually in a safe environment and it's time to reprogram your brain to recognize that every you are safe. There are some incredible, incredible side effects of healing my attachment style. One of them is that I am so good at making plans with friends now. I used to avoid it. I used to not host. I used to um, oh, this is a good one. I used to not mix friend groups. Like that was too stressful for me. Now I'm like mixing friend groups. I'm inviting people to events. I'm like making plans with people. I am showing up fully in my friendships, asking for help and understanding that it's a give take. What else? I it's not that I don't have any conflict in my marriage. It's that when I there is conflict, I am quick to repair and recognize repair. So what that means is repair. I just learned this on Esther Pearl's Instagram. It's so good. Repair isn't okay. Now we need to apologize and, um, and really figure out what happened in that fight. No repair is okay. We just had a huge blowout argument. We ripped each other's to shreds and now I'm going to be like, okay, do you want Parmesan in your soup tonight? (laughs) Like, 
(laughs) It is recognizing that you're human, that you're in a relationship, that this relationship is still continuing. And yeah, that was really heavy and rough. And it's okay because we're still in a relationship. So repair is quickly acknowledging the fact that that person is still in your life. It does not have to be fixing the relationship. It does not have to be dissecting how that argument went and how you can do better. It is just merely saying, okay, cool. So should I pick up the kid or are you going to pick him up? (laughs) I'm laughing because it's just so simple. It's so simple. Simple simple is always the best. What else? I have become, I've shared this before, but I have become an epic gift giver. I, every Christmas would have so much stress and anxiety about showing up with the perfect gift. And just last year, oh my God, I've just become a better listener for what people actually want. I've become better at understanding what people's like um, style is and like what they're into. So I'm not only better at picking out gifts, but I'm also better at just listening and being like, okay, it sounds like you wanted a PS5. I'm going to go get you a PS5. Like, that's cool. That's what you want. Okay, awesome. I don't have to come up with something equally creative as a PS5 that isn't a PS5. I can just go get you that thing that you asked for. And what else? I was able to find a secure job environment. I am like so incredibly, incredibly grateful for that experience. It taught me so much. And working in a secure environment, they actually encouraged me to speak up, share my wisdom share my insights in a way that had a super profound effect on me. And I wish everyone listening the gift of working in a secure environment. It is truly incredible. And I think I think that's it. I think I'm going to stop there. So those are the steps that I took um, in a nutshell to heal my attachment style. I would say in the whole, in total, the process took about two years and I was pretty dedicated. And I will say that the process started by learning these tools and then just perfecting these tools. So I believe that you can do this. It's exhausting. It's so exhausting. There were two to three months where I took a bath every single night to reset. And uh, I needed that. So I really want you to be gentle on yourself. I want you to know that your self-care is super important and worth your time and needed while you're going through this journey. And if you're interested in working with me on healing your attachment style, I would love to talk. I help both dismissive avoidant, anxious, I should just say I help all attachment types, dismissive avoidant, anxious, preoccupied, fearful avoidant, and secure to help them heal in relationship to others so that you are showing up just fully and confidently and vulnerably and you feel like you are safe in relationships. Up, oh, there's that word safe coming up again. <laughs> it's all about safety. And working with a coach is just a fast track way to do it. Honestly, I'm going to help you figure out like where um where the pitfalls are, how to use these tools in a way that's going to be most effective for you. And I say do it now because the sooner you heal your attachment style, 
the quicker you're going to be putting yourselves in in secure environments, whether that's at work or in dating. And if you're a parent, learn it now because you're going to be able to give the gift of secure attachment to your child, which is priceless. I'm just going to say, as someone that comes from a long line of insecurely attached folks, that is the best gift that you can give your kid for reals. Don't be perfect about it. <laughs> I'm just going to say that. It's not about being perfect. It's about trying. And and like I said in the beginning, it's about um, iterating and iterating and iterating and iterating. It's a beautiful process. I would love to be a part of your journey. Uh, you can book a discovery call with me to figure out if we are the right fit for each other. You can do that at sarahcohan.com forward slash coaching. That's S-A-R-A-H-C-O-H-A-N.com forward slash coaching. All right. Thank you so much for listening. And I'll be back here next week 